0: Welcome to the Ask Philip Podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, what does pay yourself first mean? What's a good place to build an emergency fund? Can I invest in a business opportunity through my IRA? Should I put my old 401k into my new 401k? What are the different types of investment accounts? What is a Susu? Plus, Muay Thai and real estate. An interview with Michael Tran. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk, and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and/or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip.
1: I am back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. Uh, my guest today is. Michael Tran with Colliers International. Listen, along with being a really cool commercial real estate agent, they have like a content everywhere on the internet, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, uh, and he'll talk about all that. Um, he's also a a Muay Thai guy like me, so we're going to talk about real estate, money, and Muay Thai. This is going to be a great conversation.
2: Thanks for coming on the show, Michael. Anytime, man. Anytime. We share a very common interests, and we clicked really well. I think this is going to be a good show.
1: Yes, yes, sir. So, so tell me how you ended up getting into uh, commercial real estate.
2: So, I think the Muay Thai part actually plays really well into how I got into real estate. Okay, in that sense. So, I'll give you the the short version. So, like, I was in college and you know all I'd ever done was play tennis and so I was kind of burnt out on that and so you know you're I'm like 19 20 I think and my testosterone's like through the roof and so I'm just like wow I've learned how to like defend myself and so I had like a new confidence and everything and there was a girl I was seeing at the time and, um, she was buying a car or something and the car sales guy had all her info and he was like stalking her. It was really weird, really weird situation. And so I started like, you know, they had Spokio come out at the time. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've heard of it. Yeah. So that um, came out and then, you know, I just found like who he was and I figured out like where he lived so I could have a geography and understanding (laughs) of this girl I was dating at the time and making sure that she was safe. And I told one of my buddies about that. And I said, Hey, like I had to do all this to track this guy down. He goes, did you do that? And I said, yeah. I said, I was like, wouldn't you do the same for somebody that you care about? And so, (laughs) so then he goes, you know, a year passes, but then he goes, Michael, you're like really good at finding people. And that's like almost half of what we have to do in real estate is finding the right person. And so they, I got an offer to work at Vision Commercial and they're a boutique firm here in DFW, um, throughout the mid cities, but they took me in and they showed me how to track people even more, you know, through tax records and stuff like that. And then just um, now Colliers has a research team for me, but you know, at a boutique firm, you got to do a lot of stuff yourself. Mm. And so that's how I got into commercial real estate on the leasing side. Nice,
1: nice. So, so and wild story, yeah. And and so how? And so you you mentioned you did Muay Thai. What 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 got you into Muay Thai?
2: So the Muay Thai, um, I I wouldn't have admitted it back then but I think I was lacking some confidence and you know, when you feel helpless or like you can't defend yourself, it's, it's pretty big on you, you know, like you're like, what do I do? And, um, so I learned that and also is a really good workout that was different than tennis. And there, you know, I compare a lot of stuff to tennis just cause that's all, a lot of what I knew back then. And, um, I was a very, interesting challenge because on the core tennis court, you're, you know, there for maybe two, three hours. And we tell you, have to be able to exert yourself and make sure you win within like a nine to 12, 15 minute time frame and three minute rounds. And, uh, so I just really liked how, you know, you're learning like the human anatomy and how to counter things and what to watch, watching the shoulders and how somebody moves. Um, you know, when the first time you see somebody's shoulder flinch and they're throwing a punch at you and you read that and you slip the punch, it's a very, like, satisfying feeling, even though you're like, did I, like, slip that on purpose or did I get lucky, you know? Mm. And then so the first time I got punched in the face, like, square in the face, like, right here, um, you know, I was like, wow, this is a real flight or fight situation for me. (laughs) And I think I was addicted after that. But I didn't like getting hit in the face. Mm -hmm. But I liked that I was like, okay, I need to figure out the situation I'm in. And I need to figure a way out from one, not getting punched in the face again. And two, making sure that I can defend myself and know what to do next. And so I was addicted after that. Yeah, it's it's kinda like a game of chess, right?
1: It's 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 is more mental it than what people
2: when people when people
1: um, give credit to. Did you and I I I think I mean, if I asked you this before, but have you ever fought did you fight like in some smokers or did you, um and did you ever go fight some professional
2: fights? Uh so I always stayed amateur. Um I did two smokers, I believe. Um and then I had two f- amateur fights Mm -hmm. uh So i had two smokers um my first fight was within four months of training Mm. yeah it was a very scary fight for me because um i got there to oklahoma and you know they're like you know when they do the the dance before the the actual fight Mm -hmm. I, i believe it's called the y crew um, and so he's doing the dance, but my coach is like, don't turn around. And I was like, okay, this is weird. I wonder why, you know? And so he's like, Michael, do not turn around no matter what you do. Cause it's an intimidation thing when they do the dance and stuff. And so then he's like, all right, you ready? And I said, yeah. So I turn around, the dude is chiseled <laughs> like a statue. And I was like, Oh wow, what I get myself into here. Well wait, and, wait, wait, wait where weight were you fighting that? Uh, at the time I was like 155. Okay. Yeah. And so when that happened, um I said, okay, so here's that fight or flight response again. And um, you know, I'm fighting him and man, dude's strong. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Um slipping punches again, you know. And but this time you hear the sound of the punch <laughs> and he had hit me once in the face during that fight. And I did not want anything to do with that because he hit me so hard. I can like taste the blood mm. and I didn't start bleeding, but I could taste blood. It was ready to start like gushing. Mm. So I was like, okay, no more of this punching stuff. So then, you know, we got tied up in the Thai clinch, which I liked a lot. Because I, uh, my coach I was training with at the time, he showed me a lot of good clinch tricks within the short time frame I'd been training, and so I knew I could like hang there and not get punched in the face, which was good. But then the bad thing was he started kneeing me, you know, and I was like, oh, I have to knee him back. But I had just been training the regular knees where you're not trying to hurt them with mm-hmm. your knee, so it's just like a side knee. Mm-hmm. But i was still getting points. And, I was staying active in there. And uh, that was a really good learning experience for me, that first fight. I lost by decision. Uh, I'm glad I didn't get knocked out. And then after the fight, I found out that this guy had trained in Thailand. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was he he fighting
1: amateur? I mean...
2: I don't know. Um, (laughs) Apparently, he broke some guy's ribs in Thailand, too, is what I was told after the fight. So I'm glad I found that out after, because then my game plan would have been, you know, uh, done. But, you know, you you take your loss and you learn from there. And I said, okay, I clinched really well in that fight. Um, I know I don't like getting punched in the face still. And so I'm just going to kick. And unless I get some real openings, uh, I'm not going to really go too heavy on the hands and just focus on uh, the teep and clinch and sweeps. Mm Mm-hmm yeah no
1: cool and, and and you're so you so you were doing the traditional your coach was doing traditional Thai, Thai fighting right not the MMA you know version of it
2: yeah I was I was very heavy traditional Thai um, style mostly kicks mm-hmm. you know that kick in Muay Thai is uh, very deadly hmm. and painful and if you do enough leg kicks to somebody it takes away a lot of their power and so I was actually a more strategic fighter. So like, uh, let's go to the smoker now. So like the smoker I was in, uh, the guy outweighed me by like 30 pounds, but I, uh, I noticed that, you know, he was very heavy on the hands and he's going to push the pace. And so I let him do that for the whole first round. So I basically I got my ass kicked the whole first round of that smoker. And I was like, okay, I know his strategy I know what he's going to do. Uh, he thinks he can knock me out. So I'm just gonna keep my distance now. And he's burned a lot of his energy trying to kill me in the first round. Mm -hmm. he, he really did. I was like, I was like, I thought this was just a smoker, you know, (laughs) but then it turns out, you know, when you're in a smoker, they still try to kill you anyway. So then second round comes and, uh, I keep him away with my jab. Um, I tossed him a little bit, uh, kept my distance. Uh, A lot of teeps disrupted his timing. Um, And then he started like hesitating on when to come in. And so I started using that. And then I started going for leg kicks. And so I started breaking down his power because I didn't like him punching me. So I said, I'm just going to take away his power. So that's what I did, Mm. Uh, started chopping at the legs. He getting tired, hands were getting lower. And so I started to mix it up. Then, so this is about eight months and eight or nine months into training. And so it was, that was a good one for me. Uh, I think everybody kind of noticed that although, you know, the first round can be one-sided um, there's a lot of people at the smoker. It was up at a, uh, in Allen at a Tomer, Ledvin, I think is his name. That's his name up there. I think I think I've heard I think he's doing
1: one next weekend, I think.
2: Yeah, he's really good. Uh he's got that ring and uh he puts up a camera at the corner and I'm in there somewhere in his ancient files, I'm sure.
0: Um
2: there's my my smoker fight with him, but or not him, but with one of the guys that right, was there. Right. And so uh that was a good good smoker for me. I like I think I i think i won but you never really know if
1: you win a smoker right right yeah because it's not it's not scored it's just you kind of you kind of know it's like sparring you kind of you kind of know who won that round yeah yeah Yeah, i i I haven't done one yet because i'm i'm like three months in and uh Mm -hmm. and they're having this one um next weekend but it's my wife's 40th birthday weekend and so i was like that's not gonna happen but uh I'm I'm going to wait till 2021 anyway and just train because, you know, um, the gym I go to here, you know, God has it. It's very strong in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, Muay Thai is the American version, but I have a coach that's virtual that that's, was in Thailand for four years with his family and is training me virtually Thai style, but it's different, you know, um, especially because we're not really doing clinching. Uh, even when I drive down there because of COVID right now, yeah, I think I'm going to do one springtime. When it's, when it's back up and running because I plan to go down there more as this COVID thing uh, gets up. My, my wife is like, what are you in this, What are you doing all this training for? Are you trying to fight somebody? I'm like, well, not, not anytime soon, but, you know, I, just, I don't want to go professional. I just want to do a couple of smokers just to, just to have fun, the competitiveness.
2: They, they are fun. Um, just keep in mind, man, you know, no matter how friendly they look, dude, <laughs> the bell rings, they completely change. I think the cool part is like at the gym that I go, because
1: I don't know if you know, like the traditional Thai, Thai style uh spars spar differently than like Americans, right? So my gym here, you know, Ooh. and all the cool, nice guys, but they'll, you know, I've had my bell rocked a couple of times just in sparring with them because they, uh just the American style, we got the American machismo, right? And so, um, so it's the same thing. They'll like clock me real hard and I'd be like, bro, I thought we was friends, you know? Yeah. You know? So, uh, I, I can only imagine a smoker where they really like are not your friend.
2: <laughs> my, my friend, I was sparring with once 230 pounds or 250 at the time, but he could throw leg kicks and, and head kicks. He faked me out one time and I probably have never been so scared in my life because this guy shorter than me, heavier than me, got his, faked me out with a body kick. So I checked for a body kick, but I left my neck open. So he got his shin up to my neck and he pulled off on it. He didn't do a full kick. Because he knew he probably would have like broke it. Mm-hmm. But it hit me enough where it was so hard. My whole like left side kind of stiffened up. And and just understand that I'm human. And I probably would have died right then and there. But I'm glad he pulled off. Because I know that would have probably like gave me PTSD on head kicks.
1: Man, that, that, And that, that's one of the reasons I don't like I don't have the control to do head kicks. So I don't even do... Like, I just do my high kicks on the bag right now because I'm, you know, if I go in for it, I don't have to control yet. You know, some guys can. I'm like, man, if I kick somebody for real and they don't block, you know, it ain't going to be as hard as regular guys, but I'm like, I just don't, I don't know how to pull back yet. So we'll, we'll keep them, keep them uh, legs and legs and belly.
2: Um, Head kicks are fun though. After you get them down and you're like, oh, I'm flexible enough to do this, I'm going to, I'm gonna work on it, and it's really satisfying once you get your first head kick. So my last fight, I had, I got a head kick in, but I didn't know I landed it. So I've been on the receiving end of a head kick, and then I've been on the end where I throw the head kick, and I didn't know I hit the guy. And how would you not know? You just you just threw it, and well, he threw a really lazy kick, and then he was kind of standing sideways, and So his body was just straight up. And so I threw the kick and I think it like my shin and foot wrapped around his head too. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't fall back immediately, but it like my foot like wrapped around kind of caught his head and kind of kept him up. But then he stumbled back into the ropes. Mm -hmm. And so my leg was so high and once it finally came back down, I see him coming to to charge at me because he used the ropes. But then I like instinctively threw like a half knee and then he like fell down and then that's the end of that fight. Mm. So you just, I mean, them, them knees are devastating. Yeah. I, I think it was a combination of both, but he was like very tired zombie mode. Yeah. That was, that was my last fight, but it was like one of my better fights. Cause I like slowed the pace down after he also tried to kill. He looked like a calm guy, like the most calm dude you'll ever see. And he, Came out guns blazing more than anybody I've ever fought. Are you planning to fight again? Um, Probably not unless I have to. Um, I may go to watch. um, And then there will be a time one day, knowing my luck, I'll be like, hey, we need somebody at this weight. Does anybody want to just throw on some gloves? And then I'm going to get volunteered. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to end up fighting again, but um, that's probably how it's gonna happen. Mm. I, I just see it, just knowing everything that's ever happened in my life. Are, are <laughs> you? You're still actively training, right? I'm getting back into training. Um, I had to figure out what was wrong with my left knee, mm. and so I've been working on that, and then uh, plan on going to rosti to get that fully taken care of because the left knee is rough now even after playing like one or two hours of tennis oh wow yeah i took two weeks off
1: because i was i was sparring with this guy who's like i don't know 5 350 yeah you know so i just you know every time we spar it's, it's not a problem because he's you know he's heavy-handed but my teeps and jabs and i'm quicker and i, I kind of keep him back you know i just Teep his leg, teep his gut, you know. He's he's southpaw too. So mm. I just give rear kick him, you know what I'm saying? When he in distance, just, I, I just keep my distance with him. And uh um, but it was it was it was I don't know what happened. Maybe I got overconfident, I don't know. But I was I was stepping to the side and um and I I saw him like get ready to do like a spinning roundhouse kick and I was like, no way this guy's gonna do a spinning roundhouse kick. You know, and then he and then he, it was going in slow motion, and I'm like, yeah. this guy about the roundhouse kicked me, and my body just like it wouldn't block, and he like caught me right in my um in my ribs, and so and so when it hit, I heard like pop, and then um and they say, oh man, I'm sorry, you you good? I was like, nah man, I'm good, you know. I, I was like, I said, so I kept on going, you know. Yeah. So I get home night get home that night, just you know, uh, rub it down or whatever, put some icy hot on it go to sleep, wake up, stretch, go work out again. You know, then Monday, because this is like Thursday. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hurting a little bit, but not really much. I'm still working out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Monday I go in and we're, you know, um, we just like doing some basic, like not even hard clenching, but just like basic, you know, basic clench positioning. And I raise my arm and I just like fell to the ground. I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done. Uh so I went talked to my homeboy who's an OT. We FaceTimed. and he was like, Yeah, man, you bruised your ribs. You didn't break it, but you bruised it. So I sat out for a couple of weeks. Uh so I I, I came back, but I was like, Man, like it took four days for that for that mug mm-hmm. to
2: hurt. Yeah. Have you um have you heard of Namamui? Mm So the TIE fighters, they love this stuff. It's basically the asian version of icy hot okay but it's an oil i'll I'll send you a picture yeah send me a picture of it yeah and it i don't know what it is man but if you leave it alone too long it will separate the two um liquids that are in there but you have to shake it and then it'll combine into one but it's like you gotta be careful with this stuff like (laughs) if you're putting it on and like put it on your arm or whatever or wherever you're hurting you will like you need to make sure you don't touch your eyes mm. or anything sensitive for the next like hour because it is just like in your skin and it will go down deep. And that's what they use after they fight. Um, your friend that was probably in Thailand, he probably knows what it is, but it's very, very potent and strong. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I definitely want to check that out because yeah, I'm I know I'm gonna need that.
2: Yeah, it's like they say it's way better than anything we have here.
1: Yep, I bet. Let's get to real estate. How's the market changing in commercial real estate? And and I know it's different industries, but let's just talk about you know in, industrial and and do, y'all. I know y'all do retail, but industrial and retail. All right, no, yeah. I know the group y'all focus on industrial, but you have a retail background too,
2: right? I do. Okay, I'm actually, about to bring out a retail center. Uh, to market here soon. So mm-hmm. it'll be good to get back in my roots um, where I started. But, um, you know, the the retail, man, it it's going to make a comeback. You know, it always will. Um, I feel like it'll just change and retail always adapts. So there's, um, there's a new development up in Addison uh, where they're making it more destination-based where you have to go there to experience it because people are going to always look for that. Mm -hmm. Um, now your neighborhood centers, they're going to be in trouble. Um, but you still need to have your, you know, local donut shop. You need to have your local dry cleaner. Um, although not everybody's like doing that right now as you know, maybe they find a vaccine or whatever, and we get closer to that, they'll start to ramp up again. Um, so it's not completely dead. And, a lot of the retailers are gonna have to adapt to COVID and like, uh, they're gonna just have to make sure their layout is efficient. Mm. So they're not taking up too much space in their suites and just making sure that, you know, they're running efficiently so that they always have the right amount of inventory, or whatever to get, um, you know, like uh, the dry cleaners. Like some of them will probably do off site cleaning. Um, or they might even bring it to on site just so that there's less human contact. Um, that's the same for like the nail salons. Um, I've got one in Weatherford. I went to one in uh, was it? Colleyville and they had just opened and they had everything ready. They had screens put up. Um, mine does the same, but theirs is like a huge screen where it's like you're in a box, like a fish tank. Mm. And the technician can only like have your hands come through. Um, so it, it's going to get better for the retailers. I mean, I've talked to a couple brokers recently too, and they're saying the leases are starting to roll again. People are looking and they're getting leases signed. Uh, if anything, the leads they're getting are more qualified because the tire kickers right now are the ones who are you know, struggling to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not having to worry about those guys as much. Um, but also, you know, people are going to want, you know, termination clauses in their leases now as well. So that's going to affect a lot of underwriting with banks, um, and pricing on all these centers. So like, um, that's going to happen in office as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to change the way we have to underwrite
1: properties. So I mean, they got, and- they got, they got to bring more money to the table. The bank is going to give less
2: that and also having to find out okay now if i'm an investor and i'm looking at buying a retail center i have to account for all my tenants potentially terminating their leases at certain times so they're probably going to negotiate certain times or if they outgrow or if another pandemic happens they're going to have pandemic clauses in there now Um, and so they're just going to have all these new stipulations and leases that we have to look out for. Mm. And so a lot of people don't, a lot of investors, they don't really want something hands-on unless it's what they do. But a lot of these guys that are buying from out of state, they want something just stable. They just want to park their money and just let it grow uh, in a better market other than California. Right. And so they're looking here and I'm seeing that they're probably going to look more into like a single tenant Chipotle or a dollar general, something where they've just built it. They've got 15 years on the lease. They've already ran their market study. They love that market and that's why they're going to stay there. Um, And so like, you know, that's where I see a lot of the investors going, unless it's just a strong tenant mix. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's probably the best for retail investors. Uh, Grocery anchor stuff right now Mm -hmm. uh, is good. So, like if you can buy a shadow anchor is what they call them. Those little strip centers that are next to the grocery stores. Um, if you can get a shadow anchor, because that's where the traffic's gonna be. And I think that's what's you know helped my family do well out in Weatherford because we're next to H E B. Mm. And oh, and it's um, H E B too. We love H E B. They yeah. they need to build more out here. They do. I've been talking to the real estate guy and uh he's like, we don't know when we'll break ground again, but, uh, we are looking and I think their next site's going to be not like a main area yet. They're probably looking like that is what he's hinted to me, but he'll never confirm anything with me because <laughs> he's just not allowed to. Right. But I stay on him pretty consistently. I'm like, Hey, so, you know, my family wants to be next to you guys all the time. So just, I keep calling him and, He's like Michael, I don't mind if you check on me and see where we're growing. So um, I will probably be the second person to know where the next H D is.
1: Yeah. So so that, that that's good to know. So like if, if it's a if it's a non if you're like a non big business, not a a non Chipotle, then then basically if you're looking to I mean, there's basically gonna be less options for you anyway, because investors are gonna wanna do less. Um and you're probably gonna wanna be positioned more to one of the big players, which means your rent might be higher, but it can be offset by more money potentially. Is that kind of correct? Yes,
2: That is, um, you're, I'm telling you, man, I didn't appreciate the grocery anchor as much until I saw it statistically help my family out where we are. And honestly, our sales haven't really dipped if anything, they're better now post or during COVID than it was pre COVID. Um, a lot of our competition isn't grocery anchored. And so they're more like, they've got like one has a Starbucks next to them and they're still struggling. Hmm. Um, Another one down the way, they've got, you know, like a locksmith in the building and a lot of smaller tenants you wouldn't think you need to go to. They're more service-based, but like they're also struggling because they don't have the traffic and it's not convenient to go there. And a lot of people are just like, I'm just going to go get my nails done after I shop
1: because
2: hmm. I've done all this hard work at the, you know, at the grocery store. I need to go treat myself. Right. And I don't want to go
1: back home to the kid. They're like, I got out. Let me just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I've had a couple ladies um, say, this is me time. This is the only time I'm going to get for the week. Mm-hmm. And I, said, well, I guess we'll, we'll be here when you come back to next week. And so it's, it's pretty interesting seeing that. But um, like I said, man, I, You know, the retailers that are going belly up, they're figuring those guys out right now. Um, A lot of them are trying to liquidate their real estate and try to get more cash heavy. Um, So we're seeing that. And I really like what industrial is doing too. Um, You know, Alliance has the highest... uh, We just had a study come out and... Alliance has the most square footage in industrial popping up in the Metroplex right now. And then South Dallas, uh, Southeast Dallas, they've got a new industrial park plan there. And I think Amazon just inked a couple deals there as well. Hmm. So um, a lot of the users, if their business is getting positively impacted by this, they are accounting for 10% more space than they originally were for their business plan hmm. so um, a lot of guys are you know growing and going to do well with this um, a buddy of mine he works in the chemical business um, and they're needing to probably buy their own place soon because they uh, one of the chemicals they have is one that is used in hand sanitizer So Hmm. his business is booming. He's doing really well. I bet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so, and what, well, let me ask one more question about retail. Then I'm going to ask about office because on on retail, so like, what are your thoughts about, so it sounds like there's going to be a vacuum, right? The, you know, um, most money's going to go into the big chains. People want to liquidate that are not with the big chains, uh, which is going to leave a gap and a void. Um, a, do you think that gap is going to be filled with some sort of money? And then B, like, what what's up with all these like multi-family retail spaces? Do you think that's probably going to get bigger out of the pandemic? Because I'm thinking like, if you're not next to an HEB, the next best place is to be, you know, the cleaners next to an apartment complex.
2: Yeah. So I got the second question. Can you repeat the first question? the
1: the the first The the first question was um the void. So let's let me. Let's pick an area. Let's say it's it's XYZ strip center that's not next to a big chain, right? And I'll make sure I understand it. You're basically saying this investor wants to get rid of this and cash out if they can, right? Which is going to create a void. Is anybody buying that or is those, are those going be, to be dead properties that need to be repurposed for something else? Or what are your thoughts on that?
2: No. So those are still going to do well. Right now they may be suffering. Um I think like places in the suburbs are going to do okay. But like if they're a neighborhood center, that's not out of power or grocery center, um, they're just going to have to ride this out uh, until, you know, COVID goes away. But investors still look for that stuff just because they know it's services the neighborhood. Although right now I wouldn't take out, you know, a deal like that because they're probably just a lot of people are looking for deals mm. and um, there's not enough in the, there's not enough enough product in the market right now for good retail. Um, there's a little bit, but a lot of people are really hesitant to bring it out because they are just like getting pounded with questions like, what was their rent deferral? You know, how many free runs, months of rent did you give them? Uh, another guy, I worked with this guy who's got a LA Fitness anchored shopping center and a Indian Bazaar, which has the services, that community out there. And it's, it's got high traffic, but LA fitness, they asked for evaded rent till the end of the year. Hmm. And they said that they'll make it up or pay that over next year, or they'll add, you know, eight months onto their lease. So, you know, there, you you can see those guys are getting hit hard, you know, 24 hour fitness is going out, but, Mm -hmm. um, there's still demand for it. It's just right now, if I were an investment guy, I wouldn't bring out a deal right now because you're just going to get hit with all these questions and banks. Most banks that I've talked to, a lot of them do not like retail Mm -hmm. and I'm getting called by lenders every day saying I like medical office. I like industrial, um, certain office they'll look at, uh, you know, but I, I feel that not now, but maybe at the end of the year, it'll be a better time to bring out a deal like that. Um, And then for your second question, the mixed use developments, um, those are good. Uh, I like those a lot. Um, You know, they'll have their yoga studio in them. It's going to be a work, live, play situation most of the time for those guys. And they do really well in those places um, because it's just almost like a, you know, you're going to go to core power yoga or you're going to go to, um, what is the other one? Equinox, you know, like there's hot works popping up as well where you are alone in, I believe, what's like a sauna and you work out and they're by yourself. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and then they have a screen and you work out at X heat and humidity. And so those, you know, do well and um, there's usually always a good, restaurant in there as well and it just they do really well just being in that center because there's a lot of amenities as well that a lot of people look for so mm-hmm. okay. um, I, i'm liking those uh, those are more apartment guys who look to buy those as well um and right now uh, multifamily is doing well uh, they're struggling a little bit on their b and c stuff uh, with rent collections but um their class a stuff i think is gonna stay strong as well okay and here's the last question before I end it.
1: From an office standpoint, right? Because he, 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 and, and I'm trying, I'm really trying to understand this for myself, right? So the whole, the whole WeWork situation, mm-hmm. it reminds me of like Amazon 1999, right? So Amazon got way overvalued in 1999. It was the future, but whenever there's new technology, I call it the railroad principle. Like whenever there's something new, it always gets overvalued. Drops 85, 90 percent before it gets interesting, and then it, then it's time to buy because it's cheap and we know it's the future, right? So we knew online retail was the future, but it took Amazon 20 years to start crushing retail, right? I mean, really, 2015 is when it got major respect, and so now it's just bulldozing competition, and COVID kind of accelerated that, but it took a while. And then same thing with cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency got overvalued in 2017. Didn't really get interesting until a couple of years ago after it dropped 85, 90 percent. And so I feel like WeWork was kind of the beginning of like a change in office real estate. Um, you know, meaning everybody was excited about the future, but it got they just got way too out of whack. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts about office? Do you do you see? like we work type models becoming the new thing for office, especially with the flexibility you get. And if I'm a court, if I'm a, if I'm a business, I'm like, okay, I don't have to spend all the money for build out and all that. You got, you know, like y'all take that on and I can just sign a lease. You know I mean? Yeah. Is, is that trend you think something that's going to keep playing out?
2: Yeah. So I will always defend office to the end. And it's not because I'm biased. I actually really, I, I do agree with that concept. It's, Okay, so like you and I are probably very similar. If I were at home, it's very easy for me to go and take a nap (laughs) in the middle of the day. And I will do that. And I will wake up three hours later. So I know that I need to put myself in a productive workspace. And if anybody's like me, and I'm sure there are a lot of people, it's very easy to get distracted at your house. And so these co-working concepts that are popping up, you can go there and get a membership. You could, um, I'm seeing a lot of corporate companies also. I talked to uh, Venturex. They are a co-working company in North Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a franchise model. But the franchisee of the North Dallas location, he's saying that he's getting inquiries of bigger companies that are like, Hey, um, you're right in the center here. Um, we have X amount of employees that we want to provide a space for, to go to. And they like that because then these big corporate guys are now not having to worry about paying for these groups. Like a lot of uh, bigger office buildings, they'll make you pay for your parking Mm -hmm. every month. Um, That's like a hundred to 200 bucks a month. And then they have to have their space there for them, cleaning crew and all that, that is built into their rent. So if they can have something flexible where now their employee can go to Venturex in North Dallas. That Venturex guy can also say, okay, I want to change the scenery. There's another Venturex by the airport. There's another Venturex in Las Colinas. They can go work at any of these spaces. So a lot of people are like, yeah, we're working from home, but you can also now they're going to provide a place where you can go work on your own offsite where you don't have to worry about driving into downtown, taking public transportation downtown, riding an elevator with 50 people and who knows how many people have been touching what elevator button and where their hands been. (laughs) And so a lot of people are okay or looking towards, you know, more suburban office. And, you know, I'm going to, we're going to see a lot of corporate users have little satellite offices for their businesses um, for each department, maybe. Um, but right now with co-working, you're gonna see that now the millennial can now actually do the work from anywhere. And there's you know franchises or we work concepts all over the place. And if they can get that membership, they can go to any location they want and work from anywhere, and still be productive. Because that's the main thing. If you're working from anywhere, you got to make sure you're still productive. And the stats on that are still too early for me to see and agree with what's going on. Because if I work from home, I would be less productive. But there are some people saying productivity has not gone down. And so the studies there are still unsure for me. But I think that having a place to go to work where you don't have to go to your office in downtown and you can still work from, you know, a cool coffee shop, co-working concept in, you know, on the beach somewhere is going to be a huge factor moving forward. Cause the mo- millennials is going to want to work, you know, wherever they want to work and uh, know, th- they have families, right. They're going to want to be able to not have to fight that traffic. Now they can spend more time with their family. Now they have room again, Uh, They do have a family and starting to, you know, wanting to build something where they had grown up as well. Instead of, you know, it's hard going to the grocery store in downtown. Like it takes an extra 10 minutes to go to the grocery store because you got to plan for that. you got to plan for finding parking because it's so hard. And then, you know, lastly, um, going up five or six stories in a garage just to find a parking space to go get whatever you need to do. Like it just doesn't make sense. For a lot of people now, because you know our time is valuable, and I think millennials are going to start seeing that. Yeah, I, I think you just connected the dots on
1: on something for me that I didn't realize. It kind of coincides with Facebook and all these companies saying, "Hey, we want to. You can work from anywhere, which saves them money because they don't have to pay crazy Silicon Valley wages." Yeah. But i i can I can see a situation where Facebook has a venture X. Or we work office subscription in all the major you know cities where they have a big chunk of employees, and that would be like pretty dope because then you get, you know, you get com- camaraderie but flexibility, and I bet their net cost for real estate and employees is going to be down. They're going to roll that into the mm-hmm. into
2: the into the uh, in, uh, profit margin. Exactly, man, and you know your department, you can still put them together if they need to, you know, collaborate. But like I said, these co-working concepts—they're built to—they're built for this. Although, like the, their cleaning and stuff is going to be higher, they have virtual conference rooms. They have podcast rooms already built into a lot of them. A lot of them have you know, you know, printers and everything set up. You just plug and play. Um, There's a concept in Las Colinas. They bought the old Zales building over there. Mm -hmm. And I I had the opportunity to tour it. They are turning that building into basically a 30-day turnkey um, office space. And very cool concept. It's almost co-working. It gives them the flexibility. They signed a couple big companies. They signed another one uh, past month, I think but they all take up, you know, 20, 30,000 square foot spaces. One of the bigger tenants I remember was Verizon. And so they just got them signed up and all they had to do, they had flexible walls and plugs. They could put the lights in, uh, in the ceiling, anywhere. They have the plugs run already. And they said, okay, give us how many offices you need. And they have these very modern looking temporary walls that are also very soundproofed. And they have it set up for them, and they just plug and play. That's pretty dope. And they're on a five-year lease. That's pretty
1: dope. I like that. And and just so everybody knows, I'm am I'm gonna ask you to tell everybody where to find y'all, um, find you, uh, find your site. But also make clear because basically, you 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 do you are you you wear multiple hats. But if somebody's an investor and they're like, hey, like this is really cool information. But like, where do I go? Like, y'all are the ones they go to, right? You're saying, hey, if you want to put some money in commercial real estate, like we, you're kind of like their advisors on saying, hey, here's what's going on in the market in different areas. And here's where we see other clients putting money. Is that kind of, do I have that part right?
2: Yeah. So we've helped anywhere from regular investor looking to get a stable return. We've helped value add investors. You saw the three building portfolio we brought out. That is a huge value add, heavy cash flow after you get it filled up. Um, It's almost like a distressed property um, that people can look to if they want a big project or, you know, something they want to be hands-on with. Or we've helped developers. um, We run, you know, comps for them in the area, see what the land cost is going to be for them, what their build cost typically is, and then lease up commissions and then what it's going to cash flow after they get it filled for office or industrial parks. Um, but if, you know, I've been in the industry for almost five years now, four or five years, and, um, you know, well connected with who I know does what. And I like that I'm not biased. Um, I'll refer you to the right person if you need, you know, help leasing your shopping center. I know two or three really good guys you can all meet. And they'll take care of you. And I know they will because they were my competition when I was leasing space or same for office, you know, uh, industrial, uh, as well. We call all the time. We know who the big players are and who's buying what and who's leasing what, and who's doing the biggest leases and who's the best fit for each project. Because, you know, some companies are really good at the A class stuff. Some are really good at the B and some are good at the C class stuff. So you got to make sure, you know, everybody in each, And for each industry or asset type and, um, you know, the main ones, obviously office, retail, uh, industrial. Um, but I'm going to see, I think self storage is going to make a big play here soon Hmm. and also RV and boat. And then, um, multifamily is always going to be very steady, but it's just here in Dallas or DFW as a whole, it's, you can only flip a multifamily building so many times and paint it and then call it a renovation <laughs> and change the countertops and stuff. And a lot of them have been bought up here, but, um, you know, I, I still like multifamily. I just know a lot of it has been captured and the market's very, very competitive for it. It's almost, it's almost too hard to get into. But um, as far as like our contact goes, Um, you can look up, uh, Texas office investments in Google and, uh, we'll pop up. Our website is texasofficeinvestments.com. Uh, you can look up anybody on our team, uh, through our Collier's website, uh, Cody Payne, Michael Tran, Blake McCool, Austin Edelman, Ross Meisner. And then, uh, you'll be able to find any of our listings. Um, but you can reach out to us anytime. Uh, my cell is 817-501-0024. And you can call me anytime if you have questions. I'm I'm happy to answer. I have a true passion for real estate. And uh, I, I'm just happy to talk to anybody about it.
1: Yeah, no, and I, and I bet it's good to be in negotiations to be with a guy who can probably beat up the other agent uh, if need be,
2: right? Yeah, so <laughs> although it hasn't helped me directly in negotiations. Um, I secretly know this and, but at the same time, doing the martial arts has helped me keep cool in negotiations where, you know, normally you'd get flustered, mad. Um, you're like, why are you doing this? Like sometimes even the people, the sellers we work with, they're sometimes difficult and, you know, you got to keep a cool head cause you're, you're, you, you know you're a professional and you need to make sure that you're looking out for their best interest. And, you know, that's the main thing for me is, you know, staying calm because once you get mad, you make really irrational decisions. Mm-hmm. And so half the time, nobody really can tell by my face or my expression because one, I'm monotone. But two, um, a lot of them don't know if I really care if the deal dies mm. or it falls out. And I mean, on the inside, I think Muay Thai has helped with the the physical pain of that.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And now I just know how to internalize it and just know that it's the industry. It happens. And you just have to be okay with that because it's just what it is. It's how the business goes. And a lot of people get really upset. But, you know, if you dwell on it, you can't move on. Mm -hmm. And find a solution to how to get it back under contract or how to figure out how to remediate the problem that you're facing with the deal
1: yeah no yeah and you're right about muay thai because my my coach when i was sparring, he he would always go don't panic don't panic i'm like i'm not panicking he's like i'm talking about your face like your face is showing that you're over you're overthinking like just relax you know yeah. and so I, I can see that translating into a deal just
2: whatever whatever okay. You just got to let the deal go and (laughs) let it take you. Like anytime I go on a trip somewhere, I usually don't plan anything. I mean, I plan like three or four things I have to do, but I just let the trip take me. And I've had so much more fun just, you know, letting the city take me. And I just find random places that, you know, on my way to what I was originally doing, I had a two hour gap where I knew I was just going to find something because it's a new city. Yeah, no, pre- pretty cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming
1: on. I, I look forward to when you come out to our gym. Uh, bring bring Cody. Oh yeah, I'm
2: ready to beat him up. So I'm <laughs>
1: gonna bring <beat> him. Up. <laughs> so, all righty, man. Well, um, y'all enjoy the rest of your week, and I appreciate you coming on. I will always be a guest for your show. But might gotta do like a quarterly real estate update. That's a good idea. Like if if I don't reach out to you in a quarter, like let me know because I, you know, yeah, I, I tell everybody y'all. If I ever got a question on what's going on at DFW Office Industrial, um, and now I know retail, y'all are are my go-to people, so I'm going to have to have y'all on quarterly.
2: You got it, man. Anytime. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Have a good weekend.
1: All righty. I wanted to take a second and do a commercial in between segments for Stonehill Wealth Management. I'm doing this commercial around retirement planning for business owners because business owners, and it's really what we specialize in, I don't talk much about it enough, but business owners, they plan for retirement different, right? Because some business owners are like, hey, I never plan to retire. I love what I do. I'm going to always do this. And so it's a different approach where, yes, they still have to say, they still have to have a 401k, still need to have a retirement plan. But the way you plan is different for somebody who always plans to work for the rest of their life because you, you have to plan for backup if they can't work but you don't have to have maybe such aggressive, retire by 65 type goals. But then there's other business owners who are like, yeah, like I want to at some point sell my business and go to the beach all the time. And so you need to have a company, a retirement service that can factor in selling a business. How much is that after taxes? How much do I need to save on top of that? Uh, how, can I need to be conservative um, on how much I sell it for. Like, What is the value? There's all kind of factors you have to plan and building your plan. And so that's another thing that we do for business owners and the estate planning aspect around planning for a business owner is also big because typically if you're a successful business owner and you can even think about retiring, that means you're going to have a nice size estate and you want to think through what happens to my money, you know, when I'm gone. And it's a lot of business owners who will say, hey, well, I got one, one client and they're like, hey, I want to spend the last penny the day I die. I'm like, I wish we can do that. Because if you can tell me what day you die, we can plan it out mathematically, but we can't. So that means you're going to die with money. And so we have to think through like what happens when that happens. And so we are a firm that specializes in everything a business owner needs when planning for retirement, setting up the 401k, setting up the investment account, building up the investment, building up the financial plan. That's what we do. Stonehillwealthmanagement.com. Go check us out. First question.
0: Philip, what does pay yourself first mean? Some
1: some people use this and they, they, they think it might mean buy yourself some shoes, buy yourself some clothes. And I don't think that's when the term first came out. I don't know when it first came out. I, I want to say like Richest Man in Babylon, when it came out, introduced the concept. I mean It came out a long, a long time ago. I'm sure it probably came out before then, but it's as old as that book. In, in that book, it was talking about putting money away towards saving for the future. I might modify it and say putting your money somewhere where it's increasing your balance sheet. So it could mean saving, it could mean investing. It could even mean paying off debt. and and the the way I look at it, but paying self first means, you know, if I make ten thousand dollars, I'm gonna take the first thousand or whatever that whatever your number is. Typically people associate this with ten percent, but I'm gonna take the first thousand or two thousand or fifteen hundred and I'm gonna put this towards increasing my balance sheet and I'm gonna live off of what's left. Because as human nature, as human beings, whether it's money or whether it's time, we're gonna wrap that you know, we're gonna you know, spend all the money or waste all the time that we have that we don't have restraints on. Meaning there's people that work 60 hours a week and make a million dollars a year, and people that work sixty hours a week and and make eighty thousand dollars a year, right? And there's people that have families that do that that make the same, people that don't have families that make the same. And so what ends up happening is the, the people who are highly productive, you know, in general, just use time more efficiently. They budget their time, they use it wisely, they apply it better for the most part, right? That's ob- it's obviously extremes. And I'm not interested in getting to all that in the in the point of the, the podcast, but the point is paying yourself first says I'm going to restrict what I spend on bills and everything else because I'm going to to take out the part that builds my balance sheet first and then I'll live on what's left because you're going to live on what's left regardless. If you made $8,000 a month, you spend all $8,000. If you made $10,000 a month, you spend all $10,000. It's part of human nature. That's what pay yourself first means. Next question.
0: What's a good place to build an emergency fund? So this is a question
1: I've gotten often with interest rates really low. And so just in general, I'm not a fan of being super fancy with building your emergency. fund. I'm like, listen, savings account is a great place to build your money. Now, the nuance is once you have enough cash, right? Some people that might mean one month, some people that might mean two months, some might mean three months or six months. But once you have, I think you had to at minimum have, you know, one to two months of cash available, one to two months of like what it what it takes for you to live monthly, in in cash, like in a savings account earning no interest. Think of it like insurance. You buy insurance, it doesn't pay you anything for just in case. Think of the cash of that because it's not earning you anything. And then if you say, all right, you want to have money that's in a a liquid accessible place, but has a potential to earn more, you know, then you might start thinking of, you know, like a conservative investment portfolio, maybe like a 20, 30, 40% stocks, the rest in bonds. The trade-off is over the long term, you'll potentially earn more money because it's working harder, but it doesn't have the security of the savings account, meaning it can go down in a year, right? It's not going to go down like your retirement portfolio. It might be more aggressive, hypothetically, but it's going to earn you some potential more return than cash over time, right? So that's another option. You know, I'm a fan of saying, hey, listen, everybody at least ought to have Six months to a to a year of their expenses, just liquid, just available in non-retirement accounts. Combination of cash, combination of a conservative investment portfolio that I'm mentioning here. If you like CDs, maybe maybe CDs. Although they're not they're not paying much more than savings account these days. But how many months, and which, and whether it's one year or two years, six years, like that's nuances. That just depends on your situation, right? You got to look at your income, how stable it is. Do you have debt? Are there two incomes? You know, what are future plans? Those are the nuances. that are just there's no way to answer that on a, on a podcast. But an emergency fund, you know, can be cash or it can be a conservative portfolio or a CD or something like that. But the but the the main point is, don't get fancy. Don't try to take too much risk with your emergency fund. And is and is it's quite okay to just have it all in savings account and count it as count it as insurance. If because again, it's it's an emergency fund. It's just in case money. It's not money that you plan to invest for retirement and make some money on. Next question.
0: Philip, can I invest in a business opportunity through my IRA? This is a
1: question that I've gotten a few times too. People want to invest in maybe a private business or a franchise they want to buy, real estate. This is a question that's kind of above my pay grade, but I'm just communicating to you what I've seen. The people that have done it, they've gone to some self-directed IRA. So you want to Google that, spend some time on, on the Google and dig deep into it. But as I understand, the IRS allows you to buy a lot of things through an IRA. It's not something that's going to be done through a wealth manager like me, because I'm directing the investments into stocks, bonds, REITs, all that kind of stuff. But if you want to direct it and maybe own physical gold, I mean, there's there's companies that, off, that allow you to own Bitcoin through your IRA, or again, buy a franchise through a retirement plan, um, 401k type uh, plan, but you want to do your research and kind of go down that rabbit hole on your own. I'm just letting you know, uh, it's possible. You just want to make sure you follow the rules and do it the right way. Cause if not, there's consequences, serious consequences. That's not something that a wealth manager typically handles for their clients.
0: Next question. Should I put my old 401k into my new 401k? In general? Yes. I mean, that's,
1: that's, I like to keep things, um, simple Right? In general, yes. But sometimes you may not want to because, for example, Stonehill Wealth Management, we have Stonehill Wealth Management models, which we have flexibility over what investments and how much investments are in what fund that we do on the wealth management side, which means like non 401k side. So, indiv- so individual accounts, IRAs, brokerage accounts, those kind of accounts. Those models are not available inside the 401k plans that, that that we advise, but there's good investments in there um, that, that you have access to. And so sometimes people are like, hey, I like to have access to Stonehill wealth management models for X, Y, Z reason. Or if you have a different wealth manager, you might say, hey, maybe I, I might want my wealth manager to invest my money in this model over here because my 401k has limited options. Or maybe you want to invest your own money and have more options than what's in the 401k plan. And so it may make sense to roll it into an IRA. So, the decision-making process is, you know, a 401k is going to be more restricted, but f- can still help you reach your goal for the most part, depending on what investments are in your 401k plan. And so it's, do you think the option is better, where you can have more flexibility outside of the 401k and an IRA, or a Roth IRA if you have Roth money in your 401k? If, if you if you I always say if you don't know the answer, if you if you're like I don't really know. Keep it simple. Just roll into the 401k plan and, and be done with it uh, because stutter stepping on it ends up having you leave your old 401k somewhere else, and that's just the worst of the three three options. That's just my two cents. Next question.
0: What are the different types of investment accounts?
1: I put this in here because a lot of people know what an IRA is or even what a Roth IRA is or even what a 401k, but very few people are know like what the plain vanilla... Investment account is right, just a you know, what's called an individual account from the technical term of us nerds, but it might also be referred to as a brokerage account. So, if you say, All right, Philip, what's a plain vanilla regular investment account? Yes, yeah, a brokerage account or individual account, which means there's no tax benefits, there's no special tax benefits like you have in a 401k, an IRA, or a Roth, right? So, you can own whatever you want in a brokerage account, you can own cash. Money market accounts, mutual funds, stocks, like whatever you want in a brokerage account, and the difference, just like you can in an IRA or a Roth, you can own the same stuff in those accounts. The, the difference is how it's taxed. So an individual account is going to be taxed like just about everything else you have in on your balance sheet that's not an IRA. So for example, just like when you sell a home, if you buy if you buy real estate and you sell it after a period of time. It's long-term capital gains. If you share, sell it before that period of time, it's short-term. Those same rules apply to brokerage accounts. So it's so it's it's just a plain vanilla, non-special tax treatment account. The, the benefit of it is that it's liquid. So you have access to the money without penalty, which serves a purpose in a lot of people's financial, financial plan and versus a, a Roth IRA or an IRA or a 401k you receive tax benefits, but those tax benefits come with restrictions. And so in general, in financial planning, whenever you have a situation where you get tax benefits, you're going to have restrictions. And the more flexible, the less tax benefits you're going to have. And so a good financial plan is kind of weighing the the cost benefit analysis of all that based on your specific unique goals and objectives. And that's a big part of what we do also for our clients. That's a short way to answer the question without going super nerd into all the different tax benefits and all that, because that would take way too much time and it would probably bore you to death. Last question, Philip. What is a susu? And I've gotten this question like a lot, like a whole lot, probably every day this week, and so I had to put it on the podcast. Let me give you the background of like what an actual susu is and what this new stuff is being presented to the marketplace. So, susu is like. A lot of different cultures do it here. You know, Susu. I believe the term comes from an African term that's used. But for the most part, when you, you a lot of people who immigrate to the to the U.S. they they bring part of the culture um, here and they use it here because we take for granted our banking services. But there's a lot of unbanked people around the world in in, in a non-U.S. And, and less developed countries. And so a Susu is a way for the unbanked to get bank. So, for example, let's say there's ten family members and we say, "Hey, I want to buy a house." But we can't get a loan, so we'll all put money into uh, the pot, and then we'll provide money for the first person to buy their home, and then put money in the pot in the second person, or it might be for a business, right? And so that's what a, you know, what the idea came from. Now, the tech industry. There, there's an article, like if you look up Business Journal, Susu, 11-15-2018, of like a uh, a DC-based startup who kind of, from, from, from my knowledge, made the idea popular from a tech standpoint, where she's, her team are doing the same thing on a, on a tech platform where people that are hard to bank in the U.S. are able to recreate the same type of a system in the U.S. to start to start their business, right? You get a, you know, you pay a fee, but the fee goes to help provide, you know, money and resources to the community, the, the unbanked, right? It's kind of like crowdfunding, you know, for business loans, is a simple version of it, and that's that's what's happening on the tech scene. What's also happening is there are also a lot of these scams popping up. I got one explained to me on a podcast I did this past weekend, and he he's basically like the way the way this this susu worked was you know you you put in a hundred bucks, and then the next month they got like fifteen hundred, and then you keep putting in money, and then you keep getting money. And I don't. Know, I mean, he kept explaining. I was like, "This is this basically sound like a pyramid scheme. Like, there's no like, you're not getting money for a business. You're not. Uh, you're just like putting money in you, and it's giving you back. So once people stop putting money, and once you stop telling your friends, and they keep quit putting money in, the party stops. And this is classic, you know, uh, pyramid scheme. I was like, man, go to the Federal Trade Commission, FTC. Yeah. I'm like, go to the website and look up like pyramid scheme. Like this is literally what they describe. So so just beware because just like when Bitcoin came out and it was relatively new, there was a bunch of scams out there. You know, this stuff has scams. Do your research. If it sounds too good to be true, it is, right? The, the traditional susu that I mentioned to you, that makes sense, right? People pull money together and... One starts the business and then they pull money. And the next starts the business. Like that, that makes sense. But like putting in a hundred dollars and getting fifteen hundred dollars and then being able to continue to do that uh, because other people are putting money in, like that's just the pyramid scheme. That's you know, I, and maybe maybe he explained it to me wrong, secondhand knowledge. But I am pretty sure there are scammers out here that are trying to take advantage of this new trend. And are going to scam folks uh, of their money. So just be careful. Again, I said a, I said a rule last time on the podcast: if it sounds too good to be true, don't do it. Or the way Warren Buffett says it: I only want to jump over two feet hurdles. Right? What that means is, if you can't understand it, you have humility. to Say, I don't know. Right? By the way, it it could be a totally legit thing, and you just don't have the capability to process it now, but. Three years from now, it's like it's like me with Bitcoin. Perfect example. Me with Bitcoin. Three years ago, when it was in a bubble, I didn't fully understand it. I knew it was a bubble. I knew I knew not to invest, but I didn't fully understand the technology. So bubble popped and then I spent a couple of years understanding it. And so now I'm comfortable with it. You know, it's a two feet hurdle for me now. Twenty seventeen or even before. It would have been way too complicated. Like even if I heard I, I actually heard about it in 2013, 14, but it was too complex. I didn't understand it. Right? If I would have, I could have got in early. But it was it was a it was not a two feet hurdle for me. And so I just moved past it, right? So two feet hurdles, y'all. Remember that. Y'all enjoy y'all's week. And I'll talk to you next week.